in a minute, but it's great to be with you all this morning. My name is Rob Douglas, and I know many of the people in this room, but for those that don't know me, maybe there are two helpful things you should know. First, I was raised in this church. Um, This church has been a home or a home base for me for almost four decades. And the second thing is I currently pastor Lightshine Church, a church that this church helped to start. For, for WPC folks, uh, now and in the past, uh, I am truly grateful. So it's really good to be here. Let's pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love. And give us strength to follow the path that you set before us. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Well, this morning, we are going to look at Luke 10, where Jesus sends out the 70 on mission into the towns that Jesus himself was going to visit. With all the challenges that we face in churches today, from waning numbers to global pandemics, today's scripture, in conjunction with a new year, becomes all the more critical, not just for survival, but also more importantly, for mission. Friends, we have an important role to play in these challenging times, and Jesus will give us some clear and simple marching orders as we are sent out. So when I first read this text, I thought about the British rock band The Clash. That's who we heard a moment ago. Their most famous song, one of us, uh, one song that a lot of us know, maybe not everybody, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Rolling Stone lists that song as the 228th greatest song of all time. All right? So if you don't know it, maybe you should. Here are the lyrics to the chorus. Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? Here's the key. If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. So you got to let me know, should I stay or should I go? And I'm curious if anyone has ever been in a situation where you had to answer that question. So recently, my wife and I received a wedding invitation out of state. We had to make this decision. A couple thousand dollars, a few days, a couple days off work. We got into this question. Should we stay or should we go, right? And I suspect that all of us, in one way or another, have been there before. So when you look at this chorus, it's really interesting. If you actually look closely at the words, Mick Jones, the guy who wrote this song, he actually answers his own question, doesn't he? He sings, if I go, there will be trouble. But if I stay, it will be doubled. What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to go, right? 
he's clearly suggesting we're supposed to go. And as Jesus' disciples, I strongly believe that we too are supposed to go as well. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. It reads like this. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thank be to God. God. Well, normally when we think of Jesus' followers, we immediately think of the 12, the 12 disciples. There are actually more, many more, in fact. And like any successful startup organization or any movement, Jesus is scaling up from 12 to 70 plus. He sends out the 70 ahead of him to the cities and towns he planned to stop along the way to Jerusalem. Word, of course, had been getting around that this miracle-working teacher was coming. People in these towns would have heard who he was. They probably would have been very eager to meet him. And the 70 were sent out by Jesus to announce his coming, to prepare them for his arrival. The harvest was plentiful then, and perhaps it's just as plentiful today. Did you know that the fastest growing religious affiliation today is what we call the nuns. Those who check the nun box when it comes to their religious affiliation. And the global pandemic that we're still currently going through has not done the church any favors, with upwards of 30% of our folks having disappeared from our churches over the last two years. This has been really hard. We acknowledge this together. We find ourselves in an extremely challenging time, and I can promise you that your leadership here is feeling the weight of this, and perhaps many of us are too. And Jesus sends out the 70 into the world to look for people of peace, people who might be receptive to Jesus's message of the kingdom of God. Well, as we know, numbers in the Bible usually mean something. And I asked myself the question, why 70? And so, as we know, these numbers can be really important. And I think Luke is making a statement here. I think he's making a reference to something that we see in Genesis 10 called the Table of Nations. 
It includes the list of the founders of the 70 scattered nations descended from Noah's three sons after the flood. Then the question is, why? Why why might he be making reference to this? And there are multiple possibilities, but the one that really struck me is this. Maybe Luke is hinting at the expansion of Jesus' mission to all the nations of the world, especially to the Gentiles. In order for any church to grow or any movement to grow, God's people will have to go. The table of nations in Genesis 10 represented all the people of the earth. And Jesus sends out the same number of people as there were nations in Genesis 10. A disciple, perhaps, for every nation. I think Luke wants us to pick up on the fact that Jesus is for everybody, for all nations, for all people. Christ's localized mission is now expanding in the sending of the 70. Their mission was simple. Point people to Jesus. The question is, has the mission of the church changed today? Has a global pandemic changed our why, our reason for our existence? The answer is, of course, no. The reason we exist as the church has not changed today. Now, let's take a quick look at the 70. Here's what Luke says. Their work will be really hard. You catch this language? They will be like lambs among wolves. I heard a coyote barking near my backyard from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. this morning. All right? I thought right back to this text while I listened to that coyote that kept me up for three hours. These folks, the 70, they're not professional Christians. They didn't hold any advanced theological degrees. This is maybe the most fascinating thing. They were de-equipped for mission. They were told to travel light. They were to look for people of peace. And as they went, they were to practice peace. They were either to receive hospitality or move on. Now, being sent by Jesus is hard work. There are some wolfy people out there. When I tell people I'm a pastor, and I'm not sure if other people have this experience, Daryl, it's a roll of the dice what's going to happen. Some are mildly receptive. Some just pretend to be. (laughs) Others will automatically want nothing to do with me. One time after a lovely 20-minute conversation with a person that I had just met, the dreaded question came up, what do you do for a living? I was like, oh, no, why did you have to ask that question? I wanted to say I'm in insurance. Um, I didn't. And when I told him that I was a pastor, he literally turned his back on me and walked away and never spoke another word to me again. Another woman, upon meeting me for the first time, I was introduced as a pastor, right? And she says, she pulls me aside so no one else can hear. And she says, hey, i got to be real honest with you. I don't like pastors. And I don't trust pastors. I just wanted you to know. And I was like, yeah, nice to meet you too. You know? <laughs> like, Jesus never said in our 21st century post-Christian context that going when sent, being his disciple would be easy. 
Now, we can assume that Jesus gave them some basic training. But the fascinating thing to me is that he sends them out with nothing. Not even the customary travel basics. No toothbrush. No toiletries. No extra socks or underwear. Why? What point is he trying to make? Well, there's a number of possibilities, and it's probably some combination of all of these things. I think he's pointing to the urgency of the mission. Greet no one on the road, he says. He doesn't want us to be rude. We know that, right? It's the sense of urgency that this is important. Second, he doesn't want them to be distracted by their stuff. He doesn't want peripheral things to get in the way of what is most important. And maybe finally he wants total reliance on the sender. The Lord of the harvest to provide for all of their needs and for their safety. They were to use the customary Jewish greeting of peace or shalom to search for people of peace. And when they found them, they were supposed to stay a while. Relying on the hospitality of complete strangers for their well-being. This is another fascinating aspect of Jesus' mission. During the Christendom period of our history, the church was so used to being the place that people came to for hospitality. We focus on being welcoming and hospitable in our churches, and rightly so. But Jesus says something quite different, doesn't he? He says that when we are sent out, we are the ones that must receive and rely on the hospitality of others. Sharing a meal defines hospitality for Luke. And the emphasis here is on being a gracious recipient of hospitality. Eating what is set before you in someone else's home is common etiquette. We all get this. My parents taught me this when I was a kid. But I'm not going to lie, I still worry about what I'm going to have to eat when I go to somebody's house. My biggest fear is that not knowing me well enough, they're going to put stewed tomatoes in front of me, (laughs) and I'm not going to know what to do. (laughs) My dad did that once when I was a kid. It did not end well for either of us, I can assure you. Well, when the 70 encountered people of peace, they were to do two things. They were to announce the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus. And then, in action, they were to demonstrate what that meant. The good news in word and deed spoken and lived. They were to bring life where there was decay. Wholeness where things were broken. Healing to that which was diseased. How badly do we need these things today? When people are really hurting, really struggling. And I kept coming back to the question, why are there so few laborers? Why are so few people willing to go? Well, when I first read Luke 10, I thought about the clash. But the second thing I thought about was the Super Bowl. Here's a couple statistics for you as we're approaching the next Super Bowl. A few years ago, in one of the most disappointing Super Bowls I can ever remember. A hundred million people watched the Patriots beat the Rams. Oh, just devastating. I was really unhappy. Here's the thing. You know how many people were on the field? Each team had 11. 11 players on the field at a time. And a hundred million spectators. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. A hundred million watching, but 22 playing in the game. A hundred million spectators to 22 participants. When I read Luke 10, I wonder if Jesus isn't saying something like, I want to get you out on the field. I want to move you from the sidelines into the game, from the stands into the game, so that my mission moves forward. And I was struck by the fact that Jesus said to pray, not for more observers or spectators, not for more religious consumers, but for more laborers who will actually go when sent. Well, I want to finish with a personal example of a story, someone who Jesus sent me to recently. It's a little challenging to tell this story, so hopefully I'll get through it. But during the pandemic, I received a phone call that all pastors hope they never will get. This person was not a part of our church. I had no idea who they were. She was referred to me by a friend, actually, that came from someone at the WPC preschool. So connection to this story. And she called to tell me that her 23-year-old son had just died from fentanyl poisoning. He thought he was taking a Xanax. And it turned out to be a lethal dose of fentanyl. Three tiny little specks the size of a grain of sand is all it takes. And his parents found him the next afternoon in his bedroom. Well, you can imagine this family was destroyed by this. They had no idea how to proceed in life without their beloved son and brother. They also needed help. They didn't know what to do. They wanted to celebrate his life, but they didn't know how to do it. That's why they called me. This kid had just graduated from college. He had his whole life cut short by this tragedy. And these are the calls that we hope we don't ever get. Now, I didn't know them at all. I knew absolutely nothing about them. But there was another thing I knew. I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I was... I was to go when sent to this family. So terrified, I went to their home to meet with them. Never in my life have I gone into a situation with so little to offer. I had no idea what to do, no idea what to say. I was totally reliant on God, the sender, and on the hospitality of grieving strangers. I sat in their living room with mom and dad and sister. I sat for two hours the first time we met, just listening to stories of who this young man was. And I left their house after that first meeting with this sense that this was exactly the kind of young man that I would love to have been with and met in person. Well, we had a very difficult but beautiful service for him in a backyard. It was during our COVID times. Definitely the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And there were many things that I learned from it. I didn't want to go, I can promise you. But in a step of faithfulness, I went. 
And this young man who lost his life and his wonderful family, they actually changed me and shaped me. They welcomed me into their home. And I received their hospitality. After many months past his service, his dad reached out to me. He said he wanted to have lunch. It was a really busy week for me. And I asked myself the question again, should I stay or should I go? Gosh, I'm so busy. I have so much to do. Of course I went. We ate Greek food. We chatted for an hour and a half. This dad's become my friend. We've had difficult conversations, raw, honest, very real. But in the midst of these conversations, we've also laughed. We've enjoyed each other's presence and company. And I sense the whole time God's loving presence right there in our midst. The truth is, I did not have to go very far, 10-minute drive from my house. But I did have to go. And I had to get outside the walls of my church, the one that I pastor, outside of where I was most comfortable. Because we as the church exist for those who are not members of our church. That's who we are sent to. I recently heard someone say that these people are like tumbleweeds that God blows into our lives. I love this. This is really helpful to me. And I thought, with the context of our passage, we could choose to watch these tumbleweeds blow down the road, or we can go when sent. We go pointing people in word and in action to the incredible love of God in Jesus Christ. So I wonder, does anyone come to mind for you? Any tumbleweeds that God might be blowing into your life? We may not be sent very far. We may be sent to a family member or a neighbor in need. But out of faithfulness to the mission of God, we go into the harvest. We don't expect the harvest to come to us. Because the church is an organization that exists for those outside of it. So I wonder where and to whom does Jesus want to send you? Should I stay or should I go? Well, the clash think you should go. And I've argued that Jesus does too. Abraham went. The 70 went. And generations of faithful disciples ever since up until this day have gone when sent. So maybe we might pray, Lord, whatever I have, I offer to you for the sake of the world. Send me. And when we go, we receive this beautiful promise from Jesus. Luke says just a few verses past where we stopped reading, and I love this. He said that those who go when sent should rejoice that their names are written in heaven. Amen. Friends, I want to finish together with a collective response. I'm going to say something. This is going to be so simple, all right? You've already heard it. I'm going to say something. Just repeat after me. Whatever I have, whatever I, have I offer it to you, I offer it to you for, the sake of the world. for the sake of the world. Lord, send me. Lord, send me. Amen.